0: Thank you, JJ, for
1: that awesome introduction, and also thank you to all my listeners around the world. Never Ever Give Up Hope is now in over 120 different countries, and what that shows me is that there are people from all corners of this globe who need the message of hope, and I am so glad that I can have a small part in sharing guests who have been through incredible circumstances in their lives And yet, even though they have been in places where they have felt hopeless, where they were able to find hope, and that's what this is about. Never, ever give up hope, no matter what happens. I thank you also to my guests who share their stories. Each one, I find, is just, it it has changed me as a person as I listen to these stories of people who have turned their lives around. And it is such an encouragement. And I know that each story will be an encouragement to you as well. With me today, I have a woman who came to that place in her life where she felt hopeless. And you know, a lot of times when this happens to us, it is not necessarily fault of our own. It is circumstances or things that happen that create that in our lives where we feel that we have hit bottom. And my guests have been there, and yet they have stories that will help you to understand that that's not where it ends. With me today, I have Robin Dykstra. Robin is a captivating national speaker. She also is an author, and she wrote her memoir entitled The Widow War, Inc. She became an accidental expert, that's going to be an interesting term that I'm sure she'll explain to us, on finding joy during difficult times. And she had to bury two husbands in the course of four very short years. barely were getting over the death of one when it happened the second time. I mean, that's just hard to believe. And she's going to share how she coped. But before she married, she was a playboy bunny. And she now speaks with authority and understanding and empathy to women who have pasts that they would like to forget. And also to those men and women who have suffered great loss. Not only is Robin captivating and funny, but she is also going to be able to relate with you as, as she shares her story. And I know that you're going to enjoy listening. Thank you and welcome, Robin.
2: So nice to be with you. Thank you so much, Carol. <laughs> Thank you, Robin. Now, you saw, I
1: don't know how old you were. I'm assuming you were probably college age. When you saw the ad for a job that said, great pay, no experience that required, apply in person now that sounded like the perfect job and you got the job now what I want you to share with us as you as you talk about that particular job and also how it made you feel during and how it made you feel when you knew that you had it all and you had accomplished what you really wanted to do
2: well, I was on top of the world. The job that I applied and got was for a Playboy bunny. And at the time I was uh, at the time there were probably 15 or 20 Playboy clubs around the country and there was one about 70 miles from my house. And when I dropped out of college, much to my mother's chagrin, she said, "Well, that's that's um you're going to have to get a job." And I tried I tried clerical work, but I've been blonde longer than my hair, and I couldn't <laughs> have work balance. So they told me that I should find work elsewhere, and I tried some factory work, but the shoes were so ugly, I just couldn't do that. Oh. So I decided to keep looking, and when I found this job offer in the newspaper for Playboy Bunnies, I thought, oh my gosh, this is right up my alley, glamour and money and no experience necessary. And they delivered on that promise we didn't they would tra- they trained us to mostly serve food and beverages but you know as a pretty woman in a glamorous environment there were all kinds of temptations and benefits to us so we had all kinds of money and new cars and virtually the world at our feet but there's such a dark side to um, to that that world And I discovered that when I married a man whose job was to get people to say yes to things they didn't really want to say yes to, Um, he and I had a couple of tumultuous years, and finally our relationship just exploded into violence, and he, he started to hit me. And I knew that if I stayed, I was going to die, so I... I just ran. I just ran for what I perceived was my life. And I went back to my mom's house and I asked her to put me back in college, which she did. Wow. So you had an about face and
1: started over again.
2: I did. And when I got home, I was a banged up mess. I was broke. I was uh, scarred. My, my, My finances were a mess. My emotions were a mess. My confidence was in the tank and i just didn't know what i was going to do i so i i just needed a, a fresh start and what did you do then well i went back to college and after I, the dust had settled a couple of months i remembered this boy that i had met in college who was just so oh he was just so hot he was just he was hunky and he was nice but he was this Christian boy, and I didn't know any Christians. I had only seen Christians on television, on on interview stories like twenty twenty, and I just thought you're just crazy. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to live on a compound with a bunch of crazy people. <laughs> and so I, I had put him on the side burner because I just didn't, I didn't, I didn't think that was for me. But he had always made me feel so precious, and he always respected me so well, and I really needed a fix. I just needed something to make me feel better, and nothing that I was trying was working. Drugs weren't working. Alcohol wasn't working. Other men weren't working. So I thought, I'm just going to I'm gonna try this. I'm just going to see what he's doing. So I gave him a call, and he was so happy to hear from me. <laughs> His mother wasn't. His mother was not happy to hear from me at all. But we dated for just a little while, and he proposed, and I said yes, and we got married the first Saturday after my divorce was final. Oh my goodness! I know, it was crazy. Now, was this hot and hunky? It is hot and hunky. His name was Jay, but honestly, it's so he was just such a great guy, big football player, and heart of gold and sweet disposition and he loved me to the moon and back. He was irresistible. You had children with him, right? We did. I didn't have children right away, as a matter of fact, I told him when we got married that I didn't want to have any of his clones. I wasn't interested in losing my figure or giving up any of my bad habits in order for him to come home and kiss some baby before me. And I was because I was just that insecure. Okay. <laughs> and He said, okay, well, we'll wait. And then after about six years, I realized that he had loved me so well that I wanted to do something nice for him. And I just asked him, would you like to have a baby now? And he said, yeah. So we practiced for a little while. You know, they like that. That's right. um, And we, we got pregnant and had this beautiful baby boy. And that went so well. We decided to have another one. We had two kids that looked just like him, and I tell you, life was good.
1: And then what happened?
2: Well, we were married about 14 years. The kids were seven and four, and life was pretty good. Jay was in line to get a promotion. He was salesman of the year that year for a Fortune 500 company, I was home with the kids and teaching Bible study at our church, and, and everybody was healthy. But Jay had a predisposed heart condition that we didn't know about. And one night, he had a heart attack and died in his sleep. Oh. And our happily ever after exploded. It just, everything was gone. I just was without, um, without much hope, really. There, because every everything that um, we had built together seemed to be in danger.
1: And you also had to cope with your children and their loss.
2: Yep, the kids were seven and four, and how do you explain to children that their dad is gone and that they're not coming back, and this not only your own emotional trauma and physical pain, because there's so many attributes and symptoms associated with grief that you just don't know about because... People don't talk about it unless you're going through it, but loss of appetite, you can't remember things, you can't sleep, and you have this horrible fatigue, (laughs) and I just couldn't figure out what was wrong with me, Um, and uh, just trying to process through all that and still keep the kids in school and dinner on the table and figure out where money was, if I had any money, was I going to have to move, oh, it's just, it's traumatizing,
1: and you took it one day at a time, obviously.
2: We did. We did. After a couple of months, the kids and I made a pact that we were going to find something good in every day, no matter what happened, even if it was a horrible day, that we were going to find at least one thing to be thankful for every day. And that's how we ended our day, by sharing the, the things that had gone well. And it's surprising that even in the midst of the worst Scenarios that we could almost always find one good
1: thing. And that's a lesson that you probably have instilled in them, and they may or may not still do, correct?
2: (laughs) They may or may not still. They're both pretty good kids. The oldest is 28, and the youngest is 25. They are whole and happy and healthy, well-adjusted, gainfully employed human beings. It's a miracle to me. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. In spite of yourself, right?
1: Exactly. Exactly. So, again, you've picked yourself up. You've got your life back. And what happened? when You, you right. met, I believe, if I remember correctly, Adventure Boy. Right. How did that
2: happen? After... After Hot and Hunky died, and we we just had so much community support from our friends that uh, prayed for us and fed us and took us out for dinners and invited us into their homes and their holidays, that after about a year or so, I felt healthy enough to consider dating, and I I married a, a, a guy who was just so spontaneous. Hot and Honky had been very much of a homebody, but adventure boy, oh my gosh, he came with a plane, a motorcycle, and a passport and it was just, (laughs) let's go. Oh my gosh. So I actually have a pilot's license. I can fly single engine airplanes. I have a motorcycle endorsement and we would take each take a child on the back of the motorcycle and go for ice cream rides and excursions and we started putting stamps in the passport. Honestly, it felt like Everything had been restored. It felt like God gave me my life back. Wow. And then and then about 2 years, we've been married about 2 years and Craig, adventure boy, took a routine flight from Pennsylvania or from Michigan to Pennsylvania to pick up a friend of ours in our in our airplane and his plane disappeared. And there was just it just fell off the face of the earth and the search for him took weeks with the Civil Air Patrol and the state police and the Coast Guard and the, um, even NASA got involved in the search. And when he was finally found, it was determined that he had made a pilot error in a thunderstorm and it had cost him his life. He had crashed the airplane and died on impact. Wow. Yeah. How did Robin deal with that? honestly the the second death was just a little easier to process and I I attribute that to the fact that I'd already been through it once and I knew that my friends and my faith were going to be enough to get me healthy again I knew it would be hard but I knew that I was going to make it so I already knew that there would be a good result and then we had not been married as long as I had been married to Hot and Hunky and and the kids were just that much older and able to help and they too had been through it once before and I think that helped them cope. But it was it was almost like people assigned a curse to me. Yes. I had women say, You better not marry again because I think there's a jinx on your life or that it's just not fair. You're you know, you People were very superstitious about why it would happen. And there was even, people were just um, curious and said things that they shouldn't, you know. That when so you go you, through trauma, people think they're helping. <laughs> they're how, did not. You,
1: how did you deal with that? How did you process that emotionally? And how did you respond when people said those things?
2: Well, it was two different things. On the outside, I had determined to be as gracious as possible because you don't understand what you haven't experienced. And I tried to be as gracious to people as possible. They just, for the most part, I think were trying to help, but they just didn't know what to say. And I didn't feel like it was my job to correct them in a mean way because they were trying to be nice. But on the inside, my heart was just breaking. It was just so sad when women would come up to me in the bathroom, for example, and like at church and women would say, gosh, you seem to be doing so well. Did you really love him? Oh,
1: my goodness.
2: But that's what I mean. People were just so curious and they just didn't know. And instead of reacting harshly to them, because that's your knee-jerk reaction, not to discourage them from wanting to um, invest. So we, I just we just tried to be as nice as possible and answer the question that they asked and um, pr- press on. Just not spend a lot of time with them. But <laughs>
1: <laughs> go on. And what about your kids? Did they get um, that as well? <clears throat>
2: Excuse me. Yeah. Um, not so much. I <coughs> don't think that. I think that as young as they were, their their friends were just conciliatory. They were very friendly and helpful to them. The school teachers were well equipped to handle children who had been traumatized in any number of different ways and the that that helped. The school system helped, our friends helped, and it was and I tried to keep them insulated from spending time with people who would not be beneficial to them.
1: Okay. You were the mother protector.
2: I was a mama bear.
1: So, you got through that. Did you ever marry again?
2: Unbelievable, but yes. I I have Mr. Forever. Dave and I have been married for 15 years, and I will assure you that he is holding up nicely. (laughs) (laughs) He wasn't superstitious. Dave and I... met in a Bible study for motorcyclists. He had never been married and never had any children. And Carol, he was 37, I was 44, and so I was just going into that change of life season, which makes women a little nutty sometimes. (laughs) And my kids were 10 and 13 at the time, and he had no experience, and I thought, he must be the bravest person I have ever <laughs> met to take us on going into puberty, going into menopause, and being able to say, I trust God to lead me to this. I love you. I choose the boys, and it's going to be great. And honestly, he has been such a good influence on my children. He adopted them. He has been uh, he is totally submerged in the role of their father.
1: That's amazing. And yeah, what a very... help. What a help to you. So yes. Mr. Forever.
2: Mr. Forever.
1: Now you the title of your book is The Widow War Pink. You have to share
2: that with us.
1: What does that mean?
2: The Widow Wore Pink. When I married when I married Jay, my my second husband. I did all the traditional things. I wore black, but I found that as the widow, it was my responsibility to encourage and comfort others. That sounds wild, doesn't it? That you're in the throes of your own grief, but people would come and they just don't understand. Yes. How does this happen, Robin? Why yes. did this happen, yes. Robin? He's such a great guy, Robin. I liked him so much, Robin. I can't believe he's gone, Robin. And, the role that I took on at that time was one of encourager and comforter. And I found that it was a lot easier to do in a colorful room. When when Craig died, I decided that I was going to have the funeral in a pink room in a funeral parlor. I looked and looked until I found <laughs> one and I wore a pink dress and I Tried to answer those hard questions the best I could with as much um, enthusiasm and comfort and encouragement as I could muster. And I found helping, uh, it helped to be in a pink dress.
1: What an interesting concept. And I I can totally relate. It's not just through death, but a lot of times people... They're not being malicious or anything, but they just are trying to understand how yeah. you went through that and it wasn't fair, and and you have to turn around and say, well, and just turn the situation completely around. Correct?
2: You, you do. You just you try to be kind to them and give them as much information as as you understand. I certainly yes. don't know why it happened. Of course, of course, but. But to help them process their grief, I had to be the one that offered assistance and comfort to them. Tell them it was going to be okay.
1: (laughs) So what are some of the things that people, you mentioned a couple, but some more things that people say to a widow? And how do we, or how would you suggest that you handle them? Give us some examples.
2: There are a lot of widows in the United States. Almost 700,000 women a year are widowed, and a third of them at least are under 45 years old. Wow. Typically those are women who still have children at home, and there are so many things that someone on the sidelines can help them with. If you know a widow or a Find a widow in your church or in your community. There are lots of ways that you can come alongside her and help her. One of the ways is just to listen to her. If you have a good enough relationship with her, just to ask her to talk about her husband. We really want to continue the conversation about what a great guy he was and we it doesn't make us sad if you talk about him if you mention his name or if you ask about him um you know
1: i believe i believe that 100 percent, and i have always encouraged people my brother just died actually two days ago and i find that when people hear that you, you, as the person who is grieving, really wants to talk about that person. And so I think it's important, what you just said, is to yeah. ask questions. Yes. Remembering funny stories. You yeah. Know, tell, you know, there's so many things. And it just, it, it helps for both people. It helps the person who is asking and may feel a little, you know, uncomfortable, And it also helps you to talk about the good times and what you remember. So I totally understand where you're coming from. And I appreciate that you brought that up. And
2: um, another point is? Well, another point is to help assist her, either with the kids or with the car. I know that I didn't... I didn't have any idea what made a car run. I didn't know you had to change the oil. <laughs> I didn't know that you had to change the filters in the furnace. I didn't know that the roof had to be checked occasionally. If you step in and, and offer to take the kids for a play date or to a playland, if you if you could write up a schedule for things to just look for in the car or house maintenance, just to be an assistance, just... Even to feed them, I know that when you, when a lot of people go through trauma, I did. I lost my appetite. Nothing tasted good. Nothing looked good. But when I went over to somebody else's house or went out to dinner with them, because the company was a distraction, food tasted better. Yes. Just to be good company. That makes sense. Yeah. And just not to avoid her. I, I think you touched on that, but just to. Be able to not avoid her. I know that it's uncomfortable after a couple months. What do I say that I haven't said already? Uh-huh. She should be better. Is she better? She's not better. Oh, my gosh. Run, run. But if you just spend time with them, just look at her, talk at her, smile at her, um, that is so great. Right. And if you knew her spouse just to share of a story, either in the written word or in person, that confirms what a great guy he was. That's always good. Sending her notes, celebrating with her going, um, if you know, wedding anniversary dates, death anniversary dates, birthdays, all those things are really emotional triggers that it's better to go through in the company of a friend, typically.
1: Now on that note is it a good idea for example if you know that christmas is coming and someone lost their spouse that year or whatever is it a good idea to contact that person and specifically mention that are you okay going through this at this time of year or is it better to avoid it what what
2: would you suggest i think it's really a good idea all the all the Traditions are going to change because the husband isn't there to cut down the tree or put the star on the top or sing the Christmas carol or play the piano. Whatever those traditions were that were established, everything's going to change. And there's going to be a huge hole in the calendar or the schedule or the tradition. Just asking her about what how she's feeling about the holiday. Is there anything that... I could do to make it better? Would you like to join us for part of our season? Can we go to a Christmas concert? Could we come over and just spend time with you one afternoon and you can tell me about your year? I think that's a glorious idea.
1: And even though people sometimes want to avoid doing that, just bite the bullet, step out of your comfort zone and help, help that person and Once you open your mouth, it just gets easier, doesn't it?
2: It does. Tell us now about your book. The Widow War Pink is is a memoir, like you said. It's the true story of life after loss and the transforming power of a loving God. It's the story of God's faithfulness to me when I was so naughty. It's a weird story because when I was a Playboy bunny and breaking all of God's rules, nothing bad happened to me, really. It was a pretty high life. And then when I, <laughs> I cleaned up and got straight, that's when life caved in on me. It's a great story for people who just want to know that they are that they're loved and that there is a God who loves them.
1: So how do you address that when someone comes to you and brings that point up? You know, that since I have turned my life over to God and I'm trying to, you know, live that kind of life, nothing seems to be going right. How do you address that, seeing that you've been on both sides of that?
2: I I always tell them that the promise that God makes to you is, never to leave you alone and to love you while you're going through it that he offers forgiveness for the mistakes and hope for the future but that he doesn't guarantee that it will be a painless journey there's all kinds of reasons that we go through trials some are self-induced some are some are things that we bring on ourselves but a lot of times i find that we suffer the consequences of someone else's decision and God wants you to know that you're not being punished, that you are just part of the fallout of someone else's free will or someone else's decision, but that he will be with you through it. A little bit more about your book. Is it a self-help or is it strictly a story? It's a story. Most people who read it tell me they can see themselves in it, even if they're not a widow, if they have a past that they are ashamed of or regret they will see themselves in it and be very hopeful that there is a chance for a good future the past doesn't dictate what will be our future there are likely consequences but it doesn't dictate who we become a lot of times
1: it's because of our past that we are who we are that we are stronger that we're more empathetic that we yes. have a greater understanding and to relate to people on levels that we never would have been able to before. And I'm sure you have gone through those that thought process a lot, correct?
2: Yes, I have. We have a trick that I use and it's called looking for lousy trade-offs. When things are not going your way, in addition to just finding something to be thankful for at the end of the day, just look and see how to flip things on its head. For example... When I was a widow, I didn't have any appetite and I lost all this weight. So I looked great, right, but there was no one really to admire it. Another lousy trade off was that um, I didn't ever have to make Salisbury steak again as long as I live. I hate it, and my husband loved it. And when he died, that was the lousy trade off. I'd never have to make Salisbury steak again as long as I live. Um, I, I wrecked two cars. I wrecked two of my cars in one car accident, and I didn't have to tell my husband that I did it. I only had to confess to the insurance guy. <laughs> I mean, these are lousy trade-offs that right, can help right. get through some of the rough spots.
1: Exactly, and if you can find humor in even those crazy situations, it just helps. It really, it does. really helps, yes. It does. Now, your, your children, you said that they were, you know, they're well-rounded and have become successful, and you're very proud of them. It's, yeah. Do, do they still have moments that they maybe question what happened, and are you still having to deal with that? Because I know I've interviewed people who have children that have never been able to come to grips with it.
2: Mine are are good. So far, so good. We have a day that might be triggered by an anniversary or a, or a birthday. But for the most part, they are really well adjusted. They, they have a strong faith themselves and find hope in the future. They have a great dad now and not that one replaces another, but that, that they have a lot to be thankful for and um, life is good for them. Very rarely, I would say, do we have every once in a while we'll have a tidal wave of grief where joy and sorrow can coexist, where you're very happy with your life and your circumstances. But there's a trigger, a wedding, a picture, a song, a smell that will take you right back to a time when someone important was with you. And it's in those moments that we experience both the joy of where we are and the sorrow of what we've lost.
1: And you don't deny those moments, do you?
2: No, uh uh, no.
1: So you can embrace them and go forward instead of going which some people do do to a pity party.
2: Right. But but find yeah, the temptation to wear that badge of victim for the rest of your life does not help you it it steals your hope, it steals your joy.
1: So stay focused, be thankful share the gratitude, look to the future, all those things are very important. And that's what we hear all the time. But it's not always easy to
2: do when we're in the middle of it. No, it's not. You always want to say, why did this thing happen to me? And sometimes there just isn't an answer. And honestly, don't you think that when when a lot of times when I ask why, what I really mean is no. When I say why did this happen, often what I mean is I want, this, I want this fixed. I want what I lost, found. I want what was broken, restored. I want what was taken from me, returned. I don't really care why. I just want it back. I want my life back.
1: Now, you have a website. Do you offer any kind of counseling or one-on-ones? Or is it strictly your book and your speaking that you would like me to endorse today?
2: I am primarily a speaker. I don't do one-on-one coaching unless it's um, organically uh, or spontaneously driven. Okay. Yeah. So all I, I my my main gist is to delight and encourage audiences with my stories and Bible teaching. Okay. But if people want to
1: contact you, I know that you would be more than happy to respond and we'll have all that information, of course, on the show notes. Okay, good. And your book is available on Amazon. We'll have all of that there as well. Sure. Is there anything in
2: conclusion that you would like to share
1: with the audience?
2: Just that we should never lose hope. There's always going to be the opportunity for a divine intervention, a windfall of... A breeze of spring to blow in, and to ask for help, not to be, not to try to muddle through it on your own. When the voices get too, the, the negative and the lousy overwhelms you, it's time to, to time to look for someone to come alongside you. I know that what got me through the worst times of my life were my faith in God and my friends that invested in me.
1: I think that's very important, what you just said, because very often people want to feel self-sufficient
2: when they're going
1: through, especially a rough time, that I can do this. I'm strong enough, but there's nothing wrong with saying, you know what, I need you to come over and just sit with me, just talk to me, just make me laugh, you know, take me to dinner, I mean, something, and we need to step out of that comfort zone that we often make for ourselves in that we feeling we're self sufficient and saying you know what i need you i need people i need help
2: exactly and not to feel like you're a burden either there's this false idea that you're imposing or that you're you're a pain and people love to feel good about helping someone else yes it's always better to be the one to write the check, deliver the meal, splash around the comfort. But in a season where you're the one who needs that, please ask for help.
1: I really, really appreciate that you brought that up. I think that is an extremely good point, and thank you. Robin, you have been a delight. I know we didn't do any knee-slapping uh, humor, but I certainly can see that you you have that gift, and as a speaker... I'm sure that it comes across. And what about in your book? Do you bring the humor in there as well?
2: I do. I'm fairly transparent, and my life doesn't work all the time. And I'm happy to share my pitfalls and failures so that I don't do them again. It's a good reminder. And so that you can learn from them.
1: Absolutely. Isn't that great? (laughs) (laughs) I thank you, Robin. This is a time of year when we're doing the interview. It's close to Christmas. And it's a time when people are going through some of those anniversaries of pain and loss and also a time when people can be very, very sad. And so this is a great time to share your story, to share your book, and I know it will be a blessing and a help to many. And I thank you for sharing that with our audience today.
2: My pleasure, Carol. Thank you for the opportunity. This has been grand.
0: Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of 5 stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.